Hey everyone, Roger here, Director of Student and Young Adult Ministries at Life Canton. We're so glad that you're here, whether you're a returning listener, welcome back, or a brand new listener, in which case you came in at a great time because we are in our Code series, which is all about who we are as a church and who we are becoming. Uh, So I'm excited for you to hear that message today. But if you are a brand new listener, be sure to not only like, subscribe, follow, all that good stuff, but also to fill out a connect card. Uh, We believe that you belong, which is our first code, and we want to get you plugged in. So fill out one of those on our now page so that we can uh, connect to you, get any answer any questions that you may have, and just get you plugged in. So be sure to fill that out. Uh, But you're going to hear a message today on another one of our codes this week on our whatever it takes wherever it takes us code from pastor nathan so go ahead and give that a listen and i'll catch up with you in just a minute Welcome, everyone. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm extremely excited for you as we are having a bit of a special Sunday in that we are breaking things down so that we can hear the Word of God and experience in Him. And I just felt um, your excitement. I felt God moving in the room as you were worshiping, both online and in person. Uh, God has a word for you today, and He has something special. If it's your very first time, it's no mistake that you are here. I believe that God has something for you, too. Whether you're following Jesus or not, whether you're checking us out for the first time in person after watching us online or coming here for the first time, I want you to know that we see you, uh, that we care that you're here, and we want to partner with you in reclaiming your identity in Jesus and bearing the torch of Christ's justice and love. One of the ways that you can help us do that is by filling out the Connect card, as Jared spoke about earlier. It's both in the feed as well as on the seats around you, but the best way is through the church app. Um, This QR code that's going to pop up in a moment will let you fill out a Connect card that allows us to partner with you, to let you know about what's happening, but to reach out, say, hey. So if you have a chance, I encourage you to uh, go ahead and fill out a Connect card when it uh, becomes available. Uh, I, I don't know if the QR code went up or not, but if it does, uh, scan that with your phone. That's a great way to do that. And I am excited about this series because it's the code. If you are new, this is a great time for you to be here because we're talking about who we are. The code is on the wall. It's on our website, but it isn't just supposed to be on the wall on the website. It, it is what gives meaning uh, to who we were. It's, it's part of what God has put inside of us. It, it gives focus to what we do now, and it propels us to where we are going. There's a vision that God has for us, and the code helps us do that. You can watch all of them online because we're picking it up at whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. We started off with You Belong. In Isaiah, and this idea that no matter who you are, you belong here, that you belong to God, and so you belong with us. And from that place of safety, from that place where you just maybe pull down a little bit of the barriers that you have up because this world is rough, that you can encounter Jesus. And we just sang about Jesus, the power of what happens when we encounter him. And because of that, it starts to pull and well up inside of us this experience, this encounter with Jesus, this salvation that we experience, and it goes out into the community, and we relentlessly pursue one more for Jesus. We become 
the same kind of relentless that Jesus is with us, with others. And we're willing to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. They build on each other and it, and it grows. And you might be at a different point in this process, but I want to encourage you to keep moving forward because as you're going to see, God has incredible plans for you. I want to talk about whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. This series, this year, we've been staying in Isaiah 55, just working verse by verse through. And so we're going to pick it up in Isaiah 55, 6. It's going to be on the screen right next to me, but I encourage you to get it out in your Bible as well. We're going to read through this and spend some time dwelling on what God is saying through his word. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Love this, the idea of seek and call. Seek and call. There's this idea we're going towards God and that we're calling out to him. But then there's another part, while he may be found, while he is near. I love this because when you're seeking and calling out to him, sometimes I feel like we're talking to God and he's far away, but he's not. He's close. But there's a timestamp on that. There's an end to that. There is a process of what God is taking us through to redeem the world. And they're in this verse saying, like, listen, he's near, but he won't be forever. God has a plan for this world to redeem it. And so we're supposed to seek and call out to him while he is near, but he is very near. This really connects to relentless pursuit of one more. This idea, this urgency that there is a time frame that at some point it'll be over. There's eternity at stake for each one of us and for the people we care about. That if we follow after Jesus, our eternity is secure, but there are so many around us that are not. And so we're relentless in our pursuit of all of those people. These relentless pursuit of one more and whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, are really two sides of the same coin. It is birthed out of that safety and that encounter with Jesus, but it is so much more. It takes us out, and there's a grit to this. If, I, if you remember about Isaiah 55, the whole entire image is set up as a water vendor on a street with all these voices calling out to people. And the water vendor has the only thing that brings life and it costs nothing. And so he's calling out to people say, hey, pay attention, pay attention. Listen, I have what you need. We've already talked to two groups of people. Let's pick it up in Isaiah 55, one, just to refresh our memory. Come all who are thirsty. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. If you remember in the first week, we talked about this this concept of, hey, you don't have what you need, but it's okay. What I'm offering is free. He's calling out to the thirsty. He's calling out to the humble, and he's offering hope. In verse 2, he calls out to the second group of people. Why spend money on what is not bread? It's like you're buying things that don't satisfy and your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. The second group of people, we would call them foolish or ignorant. It's not derogatory. It's just the fact that they didn't know where to find the life that they are going after. And so the water vendor called out to them and saying, listen, listen, please pay attention. I have what you need. You're buying all this stuff, and it's not water. It's salt water. It will kill you. You need what I have. Now in Isaiah, as we move forward, he's going to call out to the third group of people. He's going to call out to the wicked. In Isaiah 55, 7, it says this, let the wicked, let the wicked forsake their ways. 
and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. He's not talking to those who have nothing to give and are desperate for him. He's like, I'm going to give it to you. He's not talking to those who do not know better. He's going to educate them. But now he's talking to the people who do know better. And he calls them wicked. Forsake their ways. There's this inference here that the wicked, they choose what they do. They know better, but they choose what they do. Wickedness. If I were to ask you, many of us don't use that terminology, right? Even saying it in church, like, ooh, wicked, okay. What are we going to talk about here? What does wickedness mean? Well, many people would say wicked people, if you're a wicked person, you do really bad things consistently. You are consistently bad in big ways. That's what we would most likely think of when we think of the word wicked. Wickedness is most definitely violating the standards of God, ignoring his teachings. That's sinful, right? That's what we call sin, not doing what God has called us to do, what Jesus has instructed us to do. It's most definitely that, but there's more to it because even foolish people can sin and they don't know any better, but wicked people, it's different. I want to jump to Jeremiah 8, 6 and let the Bible define wickedness for us. There's a lot of verses, but I want to highlight this. I have listened attentively, but they do not say what is right. Here's what I want to highlight. None of them repent of their wickedness, saying, what have I done? It's powerful. Each pursues their own course like a horse charging into battle. So down here, we have this way, right? I'm going to pursue my way, and I'm going to go after it like crazy. But this part tells us that that is wickedness. And instead, wickedness has a new aspect. It's not just about the magnitude of what you do. It's about a lot of the attitude you have when you do it. It's not about the magnitude of what we have done. It's not like there's some kind of meter that if you do enough bad, well, now you're wicked. Before this line, you weren't, but now you are. That's not what it means. Wickedness is the refusal to acknowledge acknowledge disobedience towards God or how we have hurt others. What have I done? That isn't like, oh, what have I done? What have I done today? Well, today I woke up and didn't eat breakfast and had some new coffee. Great. No, no, no. What have I done? What have I done against God? What have I done against others? See, a wicked person cannot feel guilt or shame to how they have hurt others. They cannot acknowledge and pursue repentance to God. Last week, Jared talked about the prideful, the arrogant. That's connected to wickedness. A prideful person believes they know what to do and they are not accountable to anyone. That is and leads to wickedness as we hurt people. God is calling not just those who are desperate and humble, not just those who are foolish and ignorant, but the wicked and prideful. For time is short. Let's go back to Isaiah 55, 7. I want to highlight one point there too. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Again, these are the thoughts that we have and the wicked is how we act on them. What's the answer then? What are we supposed to do? Let them turn. To the Lord. Let them turn 
to the Lord. That's what repentance means, to turn away from their ways and turn back to God. It's dying to yourself, like just eviscerating pride by acknowledging that you don't know everything, but God does. It's turning to him, recognizing how we've hurt others and seeking forgiveness. If you never feel bad about any of your actions towards any person and they say you've hurt me and you refuse to feel any hurt with that, now there's obviously extraneous circumstances, but if the general pattern of your life you may have let is that, that you do not take responsibility or feel godly sorrow when someone who you know made in the image of God is hurt because some of your actions, whether you meant to or not, and you don't even feel a tinge of sympathy or empathy or emotion around it, you may have let wickedness win in your life and your love has grown cold. If your love is cold, then wickedness has won. Either you have engaged in wickedness or someone's wickedness towards you has numbed you. This is a little bit deeper. When I think of wicked before spending some more time in it, in the word this week, I didn't really think about this, but the answer is to turn. So which category are you in? See, this isn't something I'm going to tell you you are. This is something that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to you. Now, you might be a student, and you're like that first group. You're like, I'm desperate. I'm thirsty. I need God. I'm trying to be humble, and I'm waiting for him to show up. I want you to know he will. He won't fail, like we sang. He won't. He will. Be patient. Maybe you're here and you realize or you're exploring the idea that the world and everything you've been raised in has given you the wrong message about how to live life, how to find happiness, how to find what you need, that full life, how to have purpose. And you have lived in ignorance. You might be in that second group of people. Now you have a chance to listen and to come near the water and to do what God has called you to do. I'm so excited for you. You're going to experience new life. But many of us, many of us, to some extent or the other, have allowed ourselves to become wicked. And what I mean by that is that we have chosen our own way. We've let wickedness slip into our actions, into our thoughts, the unrighteous, the thoughts, the wicked, their ways. We know what truth is. We've been handed it. We know how to follow Jesus. We have his word. But we choose our own way. This is the greatest sin that has happened since Adam and Eve, choosing their own way. What if I told you that those who have wicked tendencies never question their motives? What if I told you that the wicked explain away the ways they don't have to follow Jesus' rules, statutes, his way? And what if I sat down and asked you those questions? Would you get upset that I even questioned your motives? If that's the case, you may be struggling with some wicked tendencies. To be honest, all of us without Jesus Christ are wicked, but with him, we can have new life. In fact, that's the whole hope of the gospel. So if you refuse to ever repent, for some reason you have decided not to keep experiencing the grace that is the gift of Jesus Christ. Like I, I, it is a gift that brings so much joy. So we do this through baptism. 
One of the things we talk about a lot is baptism and what happened to baptism. In a, while, in a couple of weeks, we're going to get together and people are going to share their stories and it's going to be incredible. And then we're going to get down here with a big old horse trough full of water that's hopefully going to be warm. And if not, it'll be experience. Uh, and those people are going to come down. And while we worship God, while we praise God, we're going to take people and pray over them and their family's going to be all around them. And we're going to take them down into the water. And that symbolizes a death. A death to their ways, a death to the ways of everything in the past, a death to sin, all of it. And some people I hold under a little longer. <laughs> I wait till the bubbles come up, you know what I mean? <laughs> I really want them to feel the death. They, they need that. I don't do that. Uh, I want to. But... <laughs> And when they come out of the water, which a lot of them come up, there's a couple pictures and this happened to be multiple times where people are just so ready to come out of the water. They go like this and there's a couple pictures of me going like, because there's a fist going into my face. I love it. That's the best way to get punched. But they're dying and rising in a new life. Ooh, that's good, yeah. Why are people clapping? Because it is not just a one-time death, but we choose it again and again and again, and it produces a joy in us again and again and again. It's not like, oh, you have to keep doing this so you make sure you're saved. No, no, no. You get to practice your salvation by doing this. And the wicked, it is a, it is a false sense of I'm in control when all it steals from you. So sign up. Sign up to be baptized today. We want to celebrate with you. We want you to tell your story. I talked to someone this week who was talking about getting baptized. He is going to get baptized, and he was talking about why, because he's getting a lot of questions. I won't go into the details, but he said this, I have to be obedient to what God is calling me to do. That is powerful. We'll talk more about that. Why? Because it's not my way. It's what he's calling me to do. Why can we do that? Isaiah 55, 8 says this. He continues on. He says, hey, stop going your way because he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And he's saying something here. He's saying, I, my thoughts, he's going to go on in a minute and talk about how high they are. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I am God. You are man. I know better than you. God knows better than you. Does something inside of you go, well, Really? Mine does sometimes, for sure. It's honest. It's okay to say that. But God knows better than you. His ways are not your ways. They're bigger than you can possibly imagine. And he has a way. There's something he's doing. See, so much of the time we focus on just our little lives, but God is doing something, and he wants you to be part of it. He is doing something that is big. There is a song of salvation that is being sung over our city, and he has called us to be part of that song, that greater vision. Our vision, the statement that our song is supposed to be, is this, is to reclaim your identity in Jesus and to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. This is our part of the vision, to reclaim your identity, to say, my identity is in God as I give up my ways, and to relentlessly pursue others, and to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. Do you see how we cannot do this without being willing to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us? Justice will cost us. Love will cost us. 
It will cost us. But if you're wicked, you're not willing to pay that price. How do I know that? I'm saying if you don't get in line with our vision, then you're a wicked person. That's not what I'm saying at all. We're just part of what God is calling us to do. But you are part of the song. What I'm saying is this. If you are wicked, then you refuse to follow God's way. And if you refuse to follow God's way, then you can't be part of the vision. If you focus is on you, if you know best, then you will not sacrifice for someone else's idea. Not God's, for sure. And if you never repent, if you never can say, I have done wrong, and get on your knees and ask for forgiveness from God and from other people to make things right, if you cannot repent, then your love will grow cold. And if your love grows cold, you cannot pursue people with the love of Jesus Christ, and you will not be willing to do whatever it takes. And anything that you do will be out of a place of brokenness. Eternity is at stake, and this is why we have a high calling. Now, this series is leading us towards this vision, towards partnering in it. It's what helps us get there. It gathers our thoughts. And we have a 10-year vision. That was reclaim your identity in Jesus and bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. That's a 10-year vision, and it's huge. It's big. It's way bigger than what we can handle right now. And my job as lead pastor is to help us get there. And so I've developed a vision with the leadership team, but then also a strategy. We got to get there somehow, so we got to follow God and what he has said to do. And I was uh, attending a church. I went to the Ohio State-Michigan game. Um, it was a great game. I had a lot of fun. And yeah, it was, it was awesome. And, <laughs> but I was there, and my mother-in-law lives in, in that area. So we went to church uh, with my mother-in-law, and it was a really uh, good time together, full church, lots of people. And I got to experience her church, which I appreciated. And interestingly enough, they're in a vision series just like ours. And they're talking about all kinds of stuff. So I'm sitting here, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I get to listen. I get to hear. And um, he laid out a strategy, and he laid out what it would take. And I really appreciated some of the words that this pastor had to say. I'm going to read some for you. Listen, there, there's some good stuff in here. All right, listen. I was just like, wow, that's, that's great. It says, strategies are only as good as the people executing them. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. You get people like, oh, yeah, that's good. Most people can nod their head at the vision, but they don't want to do the work. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, right. I, everyone's like, that's like I'm there. He said, you will vote with your feet. You will vote with your life. Vision becomes a reality through people who pay the price. And he says, me, I, the pastor, I got to get you to care about the strategy or part of it so that you will invest your life. And this one's good. This one's real good coming up. Winning ideas are worthless without willing people. You always got to appreciate a good alliteration, right? If you want to go somewhere quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. That's not his. That's an African saying, but it's good. Good words. Powerful concepts. But I want you to listen to what's next. He said to his people, do you want to be the people who don't do any work. He talked about a symphony and said, there's a symphony, ironic, because we were talking about a song. There's a symphony in all of us in our church. Every person has their part. Isn't it annoying when someone doesn't practice? And then he said this, if you aren't working the strategy, it will fail. 
If you don't show up, it will fail. It was a brilliant sermon. It was incredible. It had grit. It easily could have been titled, Whatever It Takes, Wherever It Takes Us. Easily. Be present, perspire, proclaim were his points. Could have worked in corporate America as well. But I was stirred. I was provoked in my spirit. I was surrounded by amen. And all I could think about as I sat there, and you know, second row from back, because I got to respect where, you know, in the front where the Holy Spirit really is. So I was really, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Theologically horrible. <laughs> Ignore that. I was sitting there, and all I could think about was you, each one of you, the faces of the people who are new, and I thought about you. You see, the message was focused on the person listening as an individual. And he said, if you want a nice church for your kids and grandkids to go to that, that does good things, then you, person listening, need to do. As a lead pastor, he said, I have to get you to care about things that you want to care about, or my winning strategy will fail. That last line again, if you don't show up, the strategy will fail. And my heart was disturbed. No disrespect to this man. I don't know what the next sermon is. I don't know the whole thing. That's not my point. Talking about what the Holy Spirit was saying to me. And what he highlighted to me is the danger of the bounded set, the box, where we have to do certain things to belong, that we have to do certain things to be safe, and that we need to look around to the other people who's, to see who's not practicing, who's not doing their part. All for this strategy. It was you, you, you. And it broke my heart. Isaiah 55, 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My ways, declares the Lord. The water vendor is speaking, and he is saying, me, 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 not you, you, you. I want to remind you of Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you, in his love. He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. There's a song being sung. God is singing a song. He has painted a vision, and it will be accomplished. You cannot cause his will to be subverted and what he plans on doing. You cannot harm his strategy. If Satan could not subvert Jesus' victory on the cross, then your failure to perform will not even come close. Do you understand? I don't want you to invest in a strategy that will fail if you don't perform. I want you to sacrifice for a song that cannot fail. And there's a subtle difference, but it means everything. 
because it's all about what Jesus is going to do. And don't get me wrong, I want you to sacrifice. I want you to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes you. I want you to give. I want to invest your life, but not in the hopes of a strategy of a church, but in what God is doing. See, we're not in the bounded set. You're in bounds, out of bounds. If you do the right things, think the right things, say the right things, vote the right way, you're in. And then we gotta make sure everybody's in because that's how we feel safe. That's how our world works. No, we are not like that. We have a cross that's set before us and a hope that sets before us, and we run after it together. And anyone running towards Jesus has a place, even those who aren't even running yet. It's the centered set as we run after him together. So the call of Isaiah 55 is to come to the waters. Those who are thirsty, those who are foolish, recognize your folly, but he's talking to those who are wicked. You've allowed wickedness to infiltrate. Repent. Turn away from your selfishness and your way. Repent of your greed. Repent of your arrogance. And do whatever it takes, whatever it takes us. Not to perform, but so that you can rejoin the song. That we as a church, one little C church, one part of what God's doing in this community, get to sing our part. Whatever it takes. Wherever it takes us. It's part of our partner's job to live into these commitments. Our partners have six commitments with six codes, and you're going to be invited to be a partner at the end of the series. And those people choose to say, so other people can feel like you belong, I'm going to lead or be in a small group so that belonging can grow. I'm going to encounter Jesus every day by being in the word and celebrating and worshiping And then I'm going to relentlessly pursue one more by inviting people to church and by serving at the church. And for those who have taken wit wit to to heart, that's what we call it in shorthand, whatever it takes, whatever it takes us, they have decided to give 10% of their income to the church to support the vision, not because we will fail if we don't, but to be part of what God is going to do through us. And those who are partners, they're full of truly desperate and humble people. They are full of people who have just realized that they've been bamboozled by the world and they are trying to live out and come out of that ignorance and into the light. And they are full of recovering wicked people who are dying to themselves and being obedient, just like that man was to be obedient to be baptized. They're being obedient. There's a, one thing I want to say to you that's important Let's go back to the verse 9, Isaiah 55, 9. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I am God. I'm omnipresent. I'm omnipotent. How immeasurable are the thoughts of God? How incredible. He knows better than you in all things, period. And he's called you to be obedient because he knows better to see your money, to see your life, your time, your talent, and your treasure, all of it as his. But it goes deeper than that. And as we talk about just one aspect of whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, I want to talk about the one that holds our heart the most, and that is money. Now, we all know from what everybody has said over and over again that money is the root of all evil, right? That's what the scripture says, Right? Actually, no, it doesn't. First Timothy 6.10, the first half says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's, it's interesting. Not the love of money, the, uh, not the money, but the love of money 
is the root. But that's not even the whole verse. Here's the rest of it. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Some people eager for money. Ooh, are you eager for, eager for money? That's a hard one. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and, and this is the important part, pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money causes us to pierce ourselves with many griefs. God desires that we would not pierce ourselves. So he doesn't want the love of money to control us. He calls us to be like his son, Jesus Christ, and be radical in our generosity, to be that part of who we are. Because if we do not, we will wander from the faith and we will pierce ourselves. It's like jamming a sword into your arm, bringing on grief. You heard that, that line, more money, more problems. You know, I'm like, give me more problems. Right? But God is saying to you, no, the love of it. And the love of money isn't about how much you have. You can love money and be poor. You can love money and be the richest man in the world. But if you do, it will harm you and those you love because he knows our hearts. He knows better, but he loves you. When I was a kid, um, uh, and much longer than it probably should have been, I would actively do stuff that would, like, harm me. And I don't mean, like, self-harm. That, that's a thing. And if you're struggling with that, please come talk to us. But I mean, like, I didn't know any better. So, like, I thought it was a good idea to just, like, run off a set of stairs, right? And, like, so I call that in the stage of life where children are actively trying to get themselves killed without knowing it. And it's stressful as a parent. Well, they taught me obedience. Why? To keep me from dying. Right? And, and really, that kind of extends boys kind of into teenage years. We go back into stupid land and like, because hormones and stuff. And so, like, there's, there's a lot of that. But as a child, my obedience meant my safety. When I went into the military, woof, man, they train obedience into you. Split second obedience. Immediately, you are going to respond to whatever your officer says. Why? Because lives are at stake. There is a mission. There's a job to do, and if you do not obey, people will die. But when God calls you to obedience, is it those things? Yeah, it is. But God calls you to obedience so that you can be free, that you can experience freedom. And the wicked person says, I know better than you, God. And is pierced for it. Not just with money, with family, everything. How arrogant am I when I know what God has called me to do? And I say to him, I know better. I'm like that child who knows better and grabs the stove and burns myself. Because I knew better. And the Father who wants us to experience his love and freedom and safety from harm continues to pursue us. So how do we kill the love of money? How do we do it? How do we avoid this? The key is 
to look like Jesus, our brother, the one who died for us and become radically generous with our lives. Because generosity obliterates greed and it produces gratitude and freedom. What I am calling you to do when I ask you to give, when we get up here and ask you to give every week, is to give you freedom. It's all the other things too. It's mission. It's all those things. Yes. But we want you to be free. His thoughts are as high as the heavens above the earth. He knows better. But I want to bring up Psalms 103.11. Can you bring that up for me? Same language. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. Remember this part, right? My thoughts are so much higher than yours. But so is his love. So great is his love for those who respect, fear him. It's not just that he is God and we are man. It's that he is God who loves us. I want you to consider where you're at. And we're going to sing a song and I'm going to come back out and give you some next steps. Are you a desperate person who doesn't feel like they have anything to give, but they are desperate for God and humble? Are you the foolish person who's learning for the first time, like, I didn't know that. I need to respond to what God is teaching me. Or are you the wicked person who thinks that they know better? I want to allow you the time to worship God and to let him speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about where you're at. I'm reminded of the story of Zacchaeus where Jesus went to this tax collector who was wicked. And because he made him feel safe, like, come down, I want to come to your house. And he went to his house and he pursued him and spoke to him. And we don't know the full words of what Jesus said, but Jesus spoke to him. And this wicked man who had done harm to so many people repented, stood up and said, anything I have taken, I will give back and I will give more. When we encounter the radical love of Jesus Christ, we repent and become generous with our entire lives. So as we sing this song, I want to let the Holy Spirit speak to you, and I'll come back out in just a minute. Why don't we stand if we want to. Stand to your feet if you want to, and I mean that. If you need to sit, sit. Lift our voices. Let God have a conversation with our hearts. Calling on the God of Jacob Whose love endures through generations I know that you will keep your covenant I'm calling on the God of Moses The one who opened up the Now to do the same thing for me. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Or I could, I could I'm saving on your faithfulness. 
You freed the captives then. You freeing hearts right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You touched the lepers then. I feel you touch right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. I'm calling on the Holy Spirit. Almighty river, come and fill me again. Come and fill me again. Oh, won't you fill me again? God, we thank you so much. For this morning, we thank you that you are the same God then as you are now. And we find comfort in that. In your name, amen. Would y'all take a seat again? Hmm. I want to pause for just a moment um, and give you a quick update of where we're at uh, as a church. And I wanted to separate this from the message. And this is for my family, uh, partners. And for those of us who call this place home, so it's a bit of a, a family talk. And those of you who are new, you get to hear quickly about who we are and how we operate as a family. And it is important that I separated um, this from the main message for a reason, um, because it's important that we distinct ourselves between those two things. Every year, we set a budget. We come together and we pray about what God is calling us to do, like what is the ministry ground we feel God is calling us to take, and we pray for what a good number is for planning. We contemplate what the previous year looked like with all the different things. We go through a long process, and we determine what that number is, and what that factors out for us at Life Canton over the course of a year is $22,000 a week, and if we do that, we can do all of the ministry that God has called us to do. Uh, That includes staff, electricity, maintaining, giving uh, to church planting and outreach through our denomination and stewarding this amazing facility that we have been entrusted with. So God has given us a vision for this current year, but it's even bigger than that and what God wants us to do. And right now, we have reserves. In fact, we've set aside money to take care of replacing our HVAC, to take care of replacing the roof, and taking care of the parking lot. We've never had that before. And so we're in a good place to take care of the things that come up that aren't really fun to deal with, but are necessary to steward well. But where we're at in our current year is that the percentage of people who carry our year-to-year budget is, is low. We've not reached our weekly need this year, and we have ground to make up to finish the year where we agreed to do that. And so what I'm going to do is invite every single one in the room to help fill that gap, to support the budget we agreed upon so we can pursue the vision. God has been so faithful and so consistent, and his radical generosity towards us, God says it's new every single morning. And I love inviting my staff, my leaders, my partners, and all of you 
to be generous like like he is, radical and consistent. If you've never given before, we would love for you to invest in what is happening here. The truth is God is in control. But I want to invite every one of you into this song that God is singing. So I'll give you four reasons, and I just want to close with one thing before we pray. But what I'm calling each of you to be part of is sustaining the life of the church. So I will sustain the life of the church by doing these things. I want to talk first about our partners. Uh, Our partners have been encouraged or in the process of being encouraged to grow by 2%. What does that mean? Partners are consistently tithing 10% of everything they make. And that, they've been connecting with our staff. And we've been going through a prayer and fasting process and inviting them to give 2% more. And what's incredible is so many have said yes as the Holy Spirit led them. I'm blown away by the generosity of our partners. Many, and this includes all of our staff and LT have decided to grow their giving by 2%. It's incredible. Because they have experienced this freedom, this generosity, it's allowed them to do even more. So grateful for that. That might be what God is calling you to do. The second group of people I want to encourage is those who give a tithe. That's 10% of what you make. If you're someone who gives consistently, maybe you have chosen to set aside a certain amount every week or every month. That's incredible. I want to call you to maybe give 10% of every dollar that you receive. We're going to do a series on radical generosity in the coming months. And students, you can participate in this too. You know, Some of you don't work, that's okay, but you have received things. And if you give, that's part of it as well. Our students are just as so much part of what we're doing. Um, and they're not the future. They are, but they're also the now of who we are. Third group, I want to thank everyone who's given. In the last two weeks, I've been able to write some personal notes to four people who gave for the very first time, which is incredible. Wow. That makes me so happy and so joyful to see people who are coming and are new to the church giving and investing in what's happening. Every bit that you give builds equity within this community. It's an incredible. I want to call you maybe to give again. Give again. Or to become a giver who gives consistently to choose to take that step. Perhaps you can say, I can sacrifice a meal this week. I I can sacrifice uh, going out once in a while. I can sacrifice some of the things that I do. You see, this is actually for people who feel like they don't have a lot to give. You actually can make a choice to invest in what's going on here, and I want to honor that, and I want you to know that it matters, that we know that people give when they have very little And it matters to what God is doing. And finally, the last gift uh, group, I want you to consider giving for the first time. If you've never given here, would you give for the first time today? It makes a huge difference in what we can do as a community. Now, I want to separate it from the message, but I also want to bring the message back into this conversation. And what I mean is this. I am confident that God will do what he said he was going to do. I am confident that nothing we can do can hinder the vision he has for this church and for our community. That if we don't show up, it won't cause him to fail. I'm confident in what he will do. In fact, this week when I preached this message, I talked about how God's name is Jehovah Jireh. 
which is the one who provides. And David's like, oh, we're singing that song. (laughs) Because it is all about who God is. And because we have elevated who God is so much and we remember that he is faithful to do what he said he was going to do and that he has called us to become generous people at whatever level is so invitational for you, wherever you're at, that we can trust that he will provide both for the budget and for you. I believe that his provision will come and I believe it will come through everyone in this room and everyone online. And so as we sing this next song, I want to encourage you. I'm going to leave this up. I'm going to leave the slides up so you can pray about it and make your choice. But know that it's out of his great love for you that he's calling into a step of obedience. And know that I love and care for you and feel extremely confident that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Let's worship him together. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that message. And I'm just going to echo the challenge that Pastor Nathan gave us, which was to invest uh, in what God is going to accomplish at this church. Uh, Not because if we don't, it will fail or because we'll get in the way if we don't participate, but because there's an opportunity to invest in what he's doing. So do that by heading over to our Life Church Canton forward slash give page to participate in that way. Uh, Even if you're a brand new person just getting here just figuring out who we are i would encourage you to to give to what god is up to maybe for the first time us go go on head over to the the give page and do that and also just be sure uh to let us know if you need prayer or or anything like that if you have any needs reach out let us know uh you can email reach out to anyone in our community uh, especially our staff so I hope you have a blessed week. I hope that you see some of the other ways that God is up to uh, things in your life. And I hope that you begin to uh, develop the the willingness uh, and the love necessary to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us for the people God has placed in our lives uh, for his glory and his will. We'll catch you next week. Bye.